0: Here with my bestie John Z Hey y'all And we have a special guest today, Leanne Hi Hi Leanne Hi Thanks for being here Of course Welcome to our toasted shenanigans (laughs) (laughs) She's shy guys Yeah, she's very shy It's okay, it's okay So what you got over there John Z?
1: Um, One of my favorites, the Hazy IPA by Sierra Nevada You do like that one It's my go-to that and I, I little something something. I can't
0: I can't even like get at you for that though because I think you've not had that drink on here since we started.
1: No, I don't think I have. You
0: do drink it often and actually you've never had it on no, the episodes. Nope. So I can't even get you at you. You want to try it so you can mm. gag at it? No.
1: Okay, what oh. you got?
0: I have mead again. Um, but I have the FNM mead mm-hmm. and this is, like, apparently their best seller because it's supposed to taste like A&W root beer, and I think it does absolutely not taste like A&W root beer. It is not my favorite, but it's what was in the fridge, so I grabbed it because I don't have Moscato right now. I drink it all.
1: You drank all those bottles? I, I also bought, you
0: like... You fucking alky. I, oh, yeah, well... <laughs> I'm a wino, thank you. (laughs) Sorry, wrong term. But I did buy more. (laughs) So I drank all those bottles and I bought more. (laughs) Yeah, because Sean had you stockpiled. Well, Sean bought me some and then my sister bought me some. (laughs) Because she didn't know that Sean bought it. And she's like, I got you some. I'm like, cool, we'll add it to the collection. (laughs) But here. You're going to be the
1: true test take. My, my okay. arms are short. We gotta, gotta, gotta <laughs> improvise. All right, here we go. One, two, three. That does not taste like A and W. Thank you. It does taste like root beer. Kind of, but it's got like it's got like a butterscotchy type. It's mm-hmm. got like a sour ending to it. It's it's good. Don't get me wrong. I could sip on it. I couldn't sip on it for long. Like I gotta have one. I, I was gonna say I can have one. Oh,
0: my dog just barged in.
1: Hey Kaiser, how Kaiser are you? Kaiser is part of the shenanigans.
0: All He's right, buddy. Like,
1: I heard special guests. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I heard my cue.
1: <laughs> Thank you, Leanne. Thank you, Leanne, for
0: getting my very needy dog out of here. <laughs> you gotta you gotta push the door real hard.
1: You'll hear it. him out. You'll hear it
0: click. <laughs> he just busts
1: open again.
0: <laughs> All right, guys. They're... Leanne's dying over there. <laughs> He's determined to tell is his he... story. Is he pushing on the door?
1: <laughs> oh,
0: that's kind of cute. And my needy puppy. He's a good boy. He's All muffloof. <laughs> All right. Let's... Now that we're done with those shenanigans, <laughs> so let's get to the real shenanigans here.
1: Yes. Sorry, guys. This is going to be a very long one. It's not going to be that long. It is going to be long. There's a lot to be told. So where we left y'all at was basically how did Damien, Jason, and Jesse, how were they convicted of all this nonsense? Yeah. Um, so authorities questioned Damien about the Robin Hood Hills murders three separate times between May 7th and May 10th. And it was twice at the trailer park where he lived and once at the police station. And there's a lot of bullshit in between that. But like I said, I'm not going to go into it if you really want to know all the details, because there's a lot. I Seriously, somebody needs to do like a whole series on this case, like a whole just dedicate a podcast to it because. Has nobody done that yet? No. You, I am surprised. You could honestly, you could have 15 episodes about this case. It is just so in depth and all the shit. And it was hard trying to be very selective of what I included and didn't include. So I hope I tell this story well. If not, I apologize. But you're doing fucking fantastic. I'm going to I'm going to do my damnedest. You're, you're this
0: one is summarizing very well so far.
1: Uh, this one is like really close to the heart just due to, again, if you haven't listened to part one, go back and listen to it. It hits us hard. Yeah, it's it's very judgmental. It's very fucked up, and it goes into that, even into the trial, and that's what all this one is about. You're getting nothing but trial in this case.
0: Yeah. That's it.
1: And I'm sorry that it's long, but you're going to hear the most in-depth about the trial that I can give you. But basically, Damien told investigators he never heard of the three eight-year-old little boys. And that the person who committed the murders was obviously, in his words, sick. And he spent the evening of May 5th at home with his mother, talking on the phone with two friends, two girlfriends. So there's his alibi, right? In his notes of the police station interview, Lieutenant James Surdberry reported that the stated, the killer is probably someone local and he won't run. That's what Damien said. Which is,
0: like, actually 99% of the time what happens. Yeah. Especially in those small towns.
1: And as we discussed before, Damien was very smart. He was very very yeah. astute to the situation, especially given the people around him, which we also discussed were not operating with the highest IQ. Um, but the lieutenant goes on to state in his notes that Damien likes to read books by Stephen King and he has evil uh tattooed across his left knuckles is he really yeah but why does it fucking matter it
0: doesn't no it doesn't i was i was I, at first i wasn't sure if that was like a, a rumor he was claiming about him or is like because like maybe one time he wrote it on himself and they're like oh it's a real tattoo i
1: mean no he had it tattooed it wasn't it's not it's not it that means, big of a deal it means
0: nothing you're reading into probably a st- stupid moment He's like yeah, yeah that'd be so cool
1: yeah, he, I mean, he was smart, but he was still had his stupid teenage moments. Yeah. But Damien willingly took the polygraph test, and the administrating officer concluded that Damien recorded significant responses indicating deception. See, and again, I talked about these polygraph tests and how much I don't fucking trust them. And even after this one, you'll trust them even less. Of course. In addition to Damien... Investigators focused their attention on Jason Baldwin, which is Damien's best friend, who also had evil inked across his left knuckles. Oh, Jason Louise. And just. Best friend tattoos? Probably. But like Damien, Jason also denied any involvement in the killings, but detectives on the case increasingly thought otherwise, of course. Of course. And after interrogating the two teens, investigations might have stalled if it were not for the local waitress named Vicki Hutchinson. This Vicki girl basically put the final nail in the coffin. Hmm. And this is what just spun the, the bullshit we're about to go through. Hmm. So basically, Vicki told she police she suspected the killings were cult related and that she was willing to play detective now keep in mind she had her own personal game we're not going to go into that because that's vicky's story and that's not what we're talking about but her son aaron who was also eight years old was close to with the other eight-year-old three boys and aaron had told authorities that he saw the boys being picked up in a pickup truck by a black man after school which we know is obviously a lie, because we know they went straight home to their parents, off of the bus, asked permission to leave and go play on their bikes. Mm-hmm. But we'll come back to that tidbit later. Vicky believed that her connection with the 17-year-old, Jessie Miss Kelly, who sometimes babysat her children, mm. so that's where we have the connection, might provide an opportunity for her to explore the secret life of Damien Eccles. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Vicki told authorities that Jesse, who had an IQ substantially below the normal range of intelligence, but she told, he told her about Damien, his friend who drank blood and stuff. Oh gosh. But if we keep in mind going true to the first episode, he was terrified, but now he's boasting about him. With the blessings of the West Memphis Police Department, Vicki asked Jesse to arrange an introduction to Damien. And she basically told Jesse that she was interested in dating him and would like to meet him and go out with him. Trifling bitch. Yep. And keep in mind, like, this this lady is, like, in her late 20s. Why you want to date an 18-year-old? Because she's a trifling bitch. Well, anyways,
0: Jesse agreed.
1: Of course. Because, again...
0: He had a low IQ and thought she was being sincere because he's their babysitter.
1: Yeah. And given the environment of the community it didn't seem abnormal. Mm-hmm. But Jesse agreed and shortly thereafter brought Damien over to Vicky's house and made introductions. Hmm. Now, I didn't put this into my notes, but I will note that uh, Vicky basically tried to liquor Damien up and, to, like, get him all loosey-goosey and get so him talking and whatnot. That was so
0: he can get loose lips and speak. hmm Like he, like she could try to catch him and, like, oh, my gosh,
1: those little boys. Mm-hmm. Basically. Oh, my gosh. But... That's not what happened. Because he's a smart boy. He is a very smart boy. And he hardly partook in alcohol. But what came between Vicki and Damien only became clear years later. And again, we'll get to it. But for the benefit of local law enforcement, Vicki told quite the fucking story. Of course. She basically told investigators that on the night of may 19th 1993 her jesse were driven by damien and a red ford escort and obviously like that's a red flag right there because if you knew damien he didn't drive he was scared of driving <clears throat> and never have he once drove no he was taking the bus places yes But basically that Damien drove them to this coven in a field outside of town where she encountered 10 young people, each with faces and arms painted black and stripping off their clothes and touching each other. She claimed that those participating in the orgy now use nicknames like Spider, snake and Lucifer and that she was supposedly offended by the naked activity. And according to her, she asked Damien to drive her back home, which supposedly he did, and Jesse stayed at the orgy. Mm. In late May, Vicky and her eight-year-old Aaron met with detectives. While Vicky shared her story about the coven, Aaron told authorities that he and the three murder boys often visited Robin Hood Woods together. And that on one visit to the woods, they saw five men sitting in a circle, chanting and doing what men and ladies do. So, he was coached. Yes. On June 2nd, West Memphis police polygraphed Vicky, and the polygraph minister reported that Vicky was telling the truth.
0: Oh, my freaking goodness.
1: <sighs> so, obviously, they're convinced by the polygraph results and that they had their murderer. So, that grants them a warrant, and they picked up Jesse Kelly for questioning about 9 a.m. the next day. Hmm. And this is where, like, so in the trial, they say, like, they didn't know Jesse had a low IQ and all this other shit that he was just confused. But obviously you did, because you start off your with their statement with they tell Jesse there's a $35,000 reward for information leading to the convictions in this case. And that if he helps them solve the case, his family will be eligible for the money. Hmm. And of course, Jesse's excited. He thinks automatically, like him and his family are going to get a new truck and all this other stuff. Yeah, because it's a poor it's a poor town. That's, and that
0: money that's a shit ton of fucking money,
1: especially it, for back in 1993. Even for me, I'm thinking that that's a lot of fucking money. Well, well, like I discussed in the first episode, the average income was that. I think it was less than that, and back in ninety three, it was even less than that. It yeah. had been like twenty five thousand. Yeah. So, oh, Jesse sees his dollar signs. Oh, yeah. They're millionaires in
0: his eyes at that point.
1: Um, But they do proceed to put him in a polygraph interview. Jesse initially denies any participation in the satanic rituals or the murders. But Detective Durham tells another officer Jesse is lying his ass off. So, after that, hours of harsh questioning by Gitchell, remember who's the lead investigator, Mm -hmm. Jesse begins to tell the officers what they want to hear, that he and Damien and Jason committed the murders, and later Jesse would offer a different recantment to his experiments. And I'm going to read off his recantment. He said, I kept telling Gary Gitchell I didn't know who did it. I just knew of it, what my friend had told me. But they kept hollering at me. They kept saying they knew I had something to do with it because other people had told them. After I told them what the three boys were wearing, Gary Gitchell told me, was any of them tied up? That's when I went along with him. I repeated what he told me. I said, yes, they were tied up. He asked, what were they tied up with? I told him rope. He got mad. He told me, "God damn it, Jesse, don't fucking mess with me. He said, no, they was tied up with shoestrings. I had to go through the story again until I got it right. They hollered at me again until I got it right. So whatever he was telling me, I started telling him back. But I figured something was wrong because if I'd killed him, I had known how I'd done it. That
0: sounds awfully familiar of the Beatrice. Yes. It's cohorsing It was they were giving information that's known to everybody and ha- making them repeat it as if. They are saying it themselves. Well, it wasn't
1: even... It wasn't known to everybody. It was just known to them. So he had to know the exact details of what it was to be able to use his statement as a conviction. Yep. But eventually the inconsistencies that troubled officers such as Jesse saying the murders occurred in the daytime when they actually occurred at night or that they had tied up the boys with rope and the actual murder had used shoelaces or ironed out air quotes Mm. and Jesse's stories begins to match the known facts of the case Jesse states that while he was in Robin Hood woods with Damian Jason he watched Damian hit Chris Byers in the head first with his fist and he bruised him up all real bad and then Jason turned around and hit Stevie Branch then the other one took off Michael Moore took off running so I chased him grabbed him hold him until he got there and then I left. Hmm. J.C. stated, or sorry, Jesse stated that when he returned to the scene minutes later, all three boys had their clothes off and are tied up. And he then states, then they tied them up, tied their hands up. They started screwing them and stuff, cutting them up and stuff. And I saw it and turned around and looked. And then I took off running. I went home and they called me and asked me how come I didn't stay. And I told them I just couldn't.
0: The, the way that this is being stated, you can tell he's low IQ. Oh. Everything is, and stuff. And that's not valuable information, because he Mm-mm. just keeps repeating,
1: they were doing stuff. Cutting them and stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, keep in mind, Jesse was interrogated for 12 hours. Oh. That's a lot for that's, anybody. That's a lot of mental abuse for anybody. That's
0: at that point, it's mental torture.
1: Yeah, you're thinking, oh yeah, I could sit in an interrogation room for twelve hours and still speak the truth. Fuck you. You're wrong. Not yeah. when you have these other people that are trained in, um, what should I say, like, uh,
0: interrogation.
1: Yeah, interrogation, which is mentally delving into the mind and bringing things out. Yeah. So they're they're trained to do this. So. They interrogated him for 12 hours, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Tell me why only 34 minutes was recorded. The statement that they needed to hear. Exactly. Exactly. Till they trained Jesse to the point. they Basically, he told the truth at the beginning. Mm Mm-hmm. And they beat him down to the statement they wanted. And got him right on cord. And then they recorded the story that they needed. Yep. But... I'm going to play for you what defense played for the courtroom while the defense cross-examined Gitchell.
0: Okay.
2: This is Detective Brian Reed of the West Memphis Police Department. Conducting an investigation for the offense of triple homicide. Case file number 93050666. Currently in the office with Jesse Lloyd and Miss Kelly Jr. What occurred while you were there? When I was there, I saw Damien hit, hit this one boy real bad. and then he started screwing him and stuff. All right, you've got in front of you a picture that was taken out of the newspaper, I believe. It's got three boys, and these are the three boys that were killed on that date in Robin Hood Woods. Which one of those three boys is it you say Damien hit? The third picture, which will be... This boy right here? Yeah. All right, that's uh, the Byers boy. Chris that's Francis. who you're pointing out. So you saw Damien strike Chris Byers in the head. Right. What did he hit him with? He hit him with his fist and bruised him all up real bad. Jason turned around and hit Steve Branch. OK. And started Ooh. doing the same thing. Then the other one took off. Michael O'Moore took off running. I uh, chased him and grabbed him and held him to they got there, and then I left. Inspector Gitchell, let's talk about the things that, that Jesse told you that are just absolutely incorrect. Now, on page 9 of his statement, Inspector Gitchell, Jesse says that the murders took place around noon. How did you know that was incorrect? Because the boys were, the young boys were still in school. Did at any time when he was telling you this, these things that you knew were incorrect, Did it ever occur to you that what he was telling you was false, his entire story was false? In Jesse's case, I feel like he did tell us a good bit of the truth, but then they also lessen their activity in a statement. That's uh, just common, at least in my 20 years career. Is it common for the police to simply ignore these big obvious problems and just assume that everything else that he's telling you has has got to be correct? Uh, Jesse simply got confused.
0: Jesse simply got confused. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're just going to speak for him. I'm wondering why he fucking got confused. You held him for 12 hours questioning him Mm -hmm. for 12 hours. And if you didn't
1: get the fucking answer you wanted, you screamed at him. Yeah, basically. They conditioned him. And then he was able to tell the story the way that he wanted it. And then when there was inconclusive stories about it, it was, oh, he just got confused. Which, unfortunately, we've seen that happen in many other cases too as well. But within the hours after securing Jesse's confession, um, the prosecutor, John Fogelman, appeared before a municipal court and got warrants that would allow searches of the homes of Jesse, Jason, and Damien. And by 10.30 p.m. on June 3rd, 1993, all teenagers were arrested and each charged with three counts of capital murder. Oh, fuck. And again, reference this in part one, Gitchell was going up for running for mayor. Hmm. So this was his big case to end all. But at at a press conference the next morning held to announce the arrest, Gary Gitchell is asked how confident he felt about this case on a 1 to 10 scale. You know what this motherfucker said? 20. You're a little off, but you're close going in his direction. He said 11. So, this is what he's running with, even though he knows there's holes in it. But he just got confused, right? Yeah, he just got confused. So, and it'll work. It's, see, it's good
0: enough. See, he he's doing exactly what he's doing to these, these kids, other than Damien. They're low IQ'd people. The whole, it sounds like the whole town is. Mm-hmm. And he's just pulling wool over all their eyes. Mm-hmm. He's playing them. You're... Your own dude running for your guys' mayor is fucking
1: playing you. Yeah, basically. Oh, wow, that still happens today. It does, unfortunately. <laughs> I'll keep my mouth shut. Yeah. Anyways, working to strengthen their case to something beyond 11 on a 10 point scale, police decide to interview Vicki's boy, Aaron, again.
0: Hmm, an eight
1: year old. Let's take some fucking advice from an eight year old. Mm hmm. Aaron now changes his story and Go tells figure. detectives that he actually had been with the three boys in the woods and witnessed the murders. Mm. And according to Aaron's account, he received a call the night before the murders from Jesse Miskelly inviting him to bring him and his three friends to the woods the next day where they would do something. So you're there. And you survived. hmm Got it. Once there, Aaron said Jesse, Jason and Damien slapped his friends. I ran and Jesse caught me. Then I got away and he caught me again and he tied me up. I um stayed there for about forty seconds and got untied. Then asked by Gitchell, "How was he tied up?" Aaron replied with a rope. Aaron said they couldn't hurt me because I kicked every one of them with a foot. <laughs> I'm
0: sorry, it's not funny. It's just he's eight. Mm-hmm. I have an eight-year-old, like. And he would say something like this. Absolutely. Like, I I have an 8-year-old. And it's a boy. And the stories, the exaggeration, it's all an 8-year-old boy. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, this poor 8-year-old boy probably is getting some attention for participating in an adult situation, for one. Mm-hmm. Like, me as a mother, three 8-year-old boys are murdered in my town you best fucking believe I would be keeping my eight-year-old out of it.
1: Well, like I said, I wasn't going to tell Vicky's story, but I can tell you that um, she was not living the best home life, so there was a threat of occurrence that she may lose her boys because there was also an older son. So, anyways, Aaron goes on to tell the detectives that his friends got stabbed and their clothes pulled off. Then he said that they cut off the private spot And from a distance, Aaron told Gitchell that he watched as three teens raped Michael, Chris, and Steve. While Aaron's story would strike most people as wildly implausible, Gitchell was extremely pleased because now he had a second eyewitness to the murders. But he doesn't. That's the thing. But again, it's good enough. He's going to roll with it because that's what he has. Yeah. It's He's enough. already started this bullshit story. How's he going to turn back around? It's enough to pull some wool over the This eyes. is enough to convince everybody of his bullshit story. It's like the Willy Wonka golden ticket. Like it it will help in the court in but, the court of law. But rape wasn't even something that was, that's something they would have saw. And that was even brought up with what happened. Well, according to the clip of play by Mike Byers, he said it. He said also a lot of other things that weren't true. Yeah, that's true. But they were all rumors. Right. And, of course, in his drunken mind, he's going to, you know, pick what stood out to him. He doesn't really know. Yeah. Because they're not going to release a whole lot of information at that point in time. But they all went along with it. And that's all it took was mm. word of mouth. Leanne, you got something to add? That's all they were trying to do is just get somebody guilty for it. Like, whoever. Whoever it was. Yeah, it didn't matter. They were yeah, it trying didn't to get somebody.
0: Oh well, yeah, absolutely. Cause like, like again, like with my with the Beatrice story, like mm-hmm. they wanted to just pin somebody. Yeah, that's- yeah. Right away. It was a big case. It made yeah. national news. And they had to get it get it covered up and taken care of quick because yeah. it's national
1: scare too. Especially was- when you've got Gitchell running for mayor. Yeah, fuck that dude. Yeah, and he was just trying to end it quickly by, mm-hmm. with this case. That's what he was trying to do before he went into mayor. Yep, it's- exactly.
0: Oh, that also happened with the with the uh, Roger Dillabird. They wanted to get it done quick because there's a football game coming up. <laughs> It's fucking morons.
1: Okay. Fuck your agenda. Let's actually like do our jobs. Sorry, this is okay. people's not sorry. This
0: is people's. Three people's lives were taken, and we got other people's lives at hand here now. Like it's we've already lost three. We do not need to keep losing more. Ugh, I'm just getting, I'm getting angry. Carry on, please.
1: We haven't even begun.
0: This isn't even a fucking doozy. I'm kind of. <laughs>
1: this is a
0: this is a fucking riot.
1: Anyway, August fourth, nineteen ninety-three. Judge David Burnett, which I'm just going to state right now. I didn't put how much I hate this man into my notes, but I fucking hate this judge in the worst kind of way. But anyways, moving on. He ruled that Jesse should be tried separately from Damien Jason and Hmm. all three should be tried as adults. Hmm. Burnett also ruled that the state could introduce Jesse's confession despite defense arguments that it was obtained under cohesive circumstances. Despite, despite, like he knew it was there, but he said, you know what? Let's just hear it for the sake of hearing it. But when it, when it comes back around the other way, he immediately shuts it down. So that's why I I don't like him. He's one sided. But when jury selection in Jesse's trial begins, Fogelman, the lead prosecutor, told jurors that while they might find errors and discrepancies in Jesse's confession, so they acknowledge it. They were largely explained by Jesse's efforts to minimize his own role in the killings. Mm. And he quote said, "I think you'll find that he lessened his own involvement. The proof is going to show that this defendant was an accomplice to Damien and Jason in the commission of these horrifying murders." Jesse's defense was best out of the three teens. But they argue that Jesse had been manipulated and coerced into a confession. And this is what gets me. So his defense even went into the extent that Gitchell threw pictures in Jesse's face of the three murdered boys. Mm-hmm. Remember, this guy's got a lower IQ. This is going to terrify him. It's going to intimidate him. It, it, it's just not something you share. I'm Hon- sorry. Honestly, that's going to terrify anybody. And not only that, if you're trying to keep the, the crime close to the chest to figure out who the real murderer is... Why are you just throwing that fucking shit up in people's
0: faces? Yeah, it's gonna terrify anybody. It's gonna cause a stir in anybody.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, Jesse's defense did do the right thing, and they played up on his alibi. And Jesse was over forty miles away when the murders, or sorry, when the murders happened. Mm-hmm. He was actually in a wrestling match, and they have a log where Jesse signed his name into entry, and they have witness testimony stating that Jesse was there. But most importantly, they have pictures where Jesse held the fucking winning belt with his friends. Good job. I have seen these fucking said pictures. He was fucking there. But somehow, somehow, the jury seemed to just disregard his alibi. Are you fucking kidding me? No, I'm not kidding you. I wish I fucking was because we wouldn't be here talking about this case.
0: We would, just not with
1: Jesse involved. No, because as I go on, you'll learn that this is what it's built on. Are you fucking kidding me? I am not fucking kidding. Jesse's
0: what... coerced, m- fucking made up confession.
1: Hold on to your britches, lady, because it's about to get a whole lot angrier. So on February 5th, 1994, Jesse was convicted by a jury of one count of first degree murder and two counts of second degree murder. Mm-hmm. The court sentenced him to life, plus 40 years in prison. And watching this boy, it, it fucking broke my heart. The kid just hung his head. And when he was asked, did he have any comments on his conviction, he just shook. He didn't even say no. The judge had to force him to speak up. And as such, he was escorted out of the courthouse and back to a cell in a bulletproof vest afraid of what the community would do why are you so afraid
0: if he did this
1: what are you so fucking afraid of they were afraid that somebody might try to shoot jesse because of it i mean if he did this he would deserve
0: that and i'm sorry if that upsets anybody but i like i said again i have eight year old
1: boy what they had convinced a whole fucking town yeah so they were
0: afraid because they knew they fucking are lying Mm -hmm. so they had to protect
1: a lie Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Two weeks after Jesse's verdict, jury selection began for the trial of Damien and Jason. The day before the trial opened, Jesse's lawyers announced, and thank fucking God, that Mr. and Ms. Kelly made a decision last night that he is not going to testify against his co-defendants. And so, without Jesse's testimony, the state was left thin with just circumstantial case. I'm going to do a side note here. I didn't put it into my notes, but I feel like it was really needs to be told. So in the first episode, I referenced that Jesse's birth mother was not involved and that he had a stepmom that was basically his mom to him. Yeah. And this was not who his father was dating at the time. The woman who his father was dating at the time showed much disgust towards Jesse and in his involvement in the killings. But his stepmother was at every case hearing right by his side but basically she looked Jesse in the eye and she asked him did you do it and he said no I didn't do it he's she's like then you can't get up on that stand and lie to everybody else because when you do you're gonna look at me in the eye and you're gonna be lying to me go ahead mama and Jesse realized he's like I can't even for a lesser sentence because they were, the prosecution was willing to like lessen. Play deal. Yeah. Plus it lessen his sentence by many years. Plea deal. And he, he said, I, I can't do that because I can't look in my mama's eye and lie to her. Go
0: ahead, mama. She did good for him on that. Honestly, even though it gave him more years, mm-hmm. she did good for him in that.
1: Yeah, she's told him, staying true. You can't let them do this to you because they're going to do it to you. They're going to do it to all of us. Yeah. Which is what they try to do every single fucking day, just in a different circumstance and different names. But prosecutors could hope that the evidence tying Damien to witchcraft, Hmm. as well as some damaging statements by Damien, again, because he was a smart ass, might lead jury to a conclusion of guilt by association in Jason's case. Oh. So, again, John Fogelman, the prosecution, spoke to the jury, first telling them that the state would prove through scientific evidence. <laughs> I and love the statement- use
0: science.
1: <laughs> and the statements of their own defendants that they caused the deaths of Michael Moore, Stevie Branch, and Christopher Byers. Representing Jason, Paul Ford told the jury that Jason Baldwin... Only 16, when he was arrested, is not a troublemaker. He took care of his two younger brothers, getting them to bed, and in the morning when Mom is still asleep because she's been up late, it's Jason who has the obligation of getting himself up, getting his brothers up, getting everybody dressed, and fed to catch the bus and go to school. That's the kind of person Jason Baldwin is. And again, side note, Jason's mother was schizophrenic. So he was taking care of that household. Yes. So Jason's lawyer argued that his client was in court only because police had disregarded statements and physical evidence, which is true. Yes. But he said, you'll see that this evidence that they have has been twisted and manipulated and disordered in order to make the pieces of the puzzle that they want to build to fit together. Mm hmm. And you'll see that from their own witnesses. Lastly, you'll see from their own witnesses evidence that will show that Jason Baldwin is innocent. And then Scott Davison, Damien's lawyer, used his opening statement to address one of the biggest concerns that the jury might find his client guilty. Because of the strange statements and actions in his past. But he basically said he's not that all-American boy. Mm Mm-hmm he's kind of weird he's not the same as maybe you and the same as me but i think you also say that there's simply no evidence that he murdered these three kids i got pissed at that i'm not gonna lie like that's the best you could do for that kid right and say yeah he looks weird but he didn't do it that's not convincing to a jury absolutely not But the prosecution began making its case against Damien Jason in much the same way as it did against Jesse in his trial. So, they brought the parents up from the victims, describing the last time they saw their sons, and detectives describing how they found the bodies and what they found at the crime scene. So, basically, the shock. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Detective Ridge reported that during Damien's long interrogation at the police station, he had claimed all persons hold demonic forces inside them all persons so you too sir that's what supposedly damien had said Mm. which he probably did i could see him saying that everybody does have an evil side to them there's not one fucking person who doesn't but so he's not wrong in damien's mind and he said it almost verbatim like i was gonna say whatever i wanted to say because in my eyes they had nothing against me so how could they convict me on it because I've always been taught, you're innocent until proven guilty.
0: Yeah. Which is... Te-
1: he never he never saw it getting to this extent.
0: So he was being, again, his typical smart-ass exactly. self. Exactly. Thinking, forgetting the whole whatever you say can and will be held against you in the court of law part. But, but,
1: yeah. Was his Miranda rights given to him? As far as I know, yes. There was never any kind of suit against that. Okay. But um, they... Evidently went into the whole Wicca thing mm. and about the number of the boys were killed. Of course, that it was a sacred number in the Wicca religion. No, it's, not. it's not. But moreover, Ridge just testified, Damien acknowledged reading books by Stephen King. Ooh. And I just want to note that was said on the stand. That was used against him. He read books by Stephen King. That's hilarious. I read books by Stephen King. I'm not a murderer. But you're saying that every person that reads books by Stephen King basically is a murderer. That's essentially what you're saying on the yeah, stand. Yeah, that's it sounds
0: fucking stupid.
1: Yeah. But furthering the developing of the theme of a cult-related motive, Fogelman called Damien's former girlfriend Deanna to tell jurors Damien wore all black and carried knives, sometimes in his trench coat pocket. Ooh. And this was that girl that was forbidden to see Damien, mm-hmm. the one we talked about. Yeah. They got busted for breaking into an abandoned trailer. Mm-hmm. And an officer who conducted a search of Damien's home testified that the search turned up 11 black t shirts. Ooh. Don't look at my closet. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I'm wearing, well, I'm in my uniform. I'm in all black but right usually, now. But usually I'm on all black.
0: I am in all black. Leanne's, Leanne's in all black, black right like, now. Like, go fuck yourself. I am in all black. I'm always in all black. Mm-hmm. My job requires me to wear black, gray, or white. Seriously? And I was like, oh no, what am I going to do? That's my closet. Seriously, if they were
1: to look into my closet and do an investigation on me, they probably would have like, nailed me to the cross too because you opened my closet and at the bottom. Where my clothes end is my altar. Yeah, it's right there. All my candles, my herbs, everything. I mean, I have stuff brewing in a cabinet right now, and they probably would convict you too. Oh, I'd be well. so fucking convicted. Yeah. I'd be we like, both would.
0: I would be like, grab because I go outside in my, in my backyard and I grab a plant and rub it on a bug bite, and the bug bite disappears. That's witchcraft. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Really, it's just a medicinal plant. Plantain, guys.
1: But anyways, on top of the eleven black t-shirts. <laughs> Sorry. The book, Never on a Broomstick, and The Skull of a Dog. That's what they found. How did he acquire a skull of a dog? I'd like to know that. Um. So him and Jason did a lot of, like, adventures in the woods. They were still kids at the end day. Oh, yeah, day. yeah. Um,
0: Just happened to stumble across it? Yeah. Oh, I, even, I bet you're jealous. Yeah, seriously.
1: <laughs> oh, my dead shit. But um, I didn't kill it, guys. Don't think of it like that. Witchcraft. I, I, yeah, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no i didn't do that i didn't do that you bought it from a store i did um but when you listen to damien's book he recants how they found like these two skulls and a beer bottle
0: oh no underage
1: drinking he's into witchcraft (laughs) yeah and they they like took it home because they were like confused about how the skulls could end up inside the the beer bottle immediately off the bat i'm thinking Dumbasses, probably just a mouse. <laughs> but anyways, he thought it was cool. So he took it home. I but mean, I I would. It is a mouse, though, that got in and got stuck. But they were curious. It's OK to be curious. Absolutely. Not in like a sixth sense, but it was, this is not a sixth sense. He thought it no, was cool. No, he found a bottle
0: with a skull in it.
1: He didn't kill the dog. He just found a skull. That's
0: hilarious. And he brought it home. But like, but like us finding our rocks. Yeah. I wish, I wish I found a skull. though. That would be kind of cool. <laughs>
1: Got to take more backwoods adventures. Uh, clearly, mm-hmm. so the prosecutor also asked Judge Burnett to take judicial note that the there was also a full moon on May fifth.
0: Ooh. Mm-hmm.
1: And of course, the judge found it appropriate delving into the matters of the occult. Oh God. Doctor Dale Griffiths took the stand for the prosecution, and he was quote a cult expert. From a, Ohio. I
0: swear to goodness, I feel like I'm gonna, I'm just going to walk out soon.
1: <laughs> you might after this one. Like, this fucking is this... dude, he took the stand and, like, I wish I could just play a video while we're recording so everybody can see his face of the clip that I'm going to play for y'all in just a moment. But this dude is a fucking moron. But anyways, Griffiths testified that the number three was one of the most powerful numbers in the practice of satanic belief. Griffiths said that the murders of the three boys were using the trappings of the occult during this event, pointing to the time of the moon phase and the removal of blood as examples of trappings. Asked what the significance of sucking of blood might have, Griffiths explained, blood is the life force and usually... They prefer to have a child that is young, very young, and the younger, the more innocent, the better the life force. Then when asked when looking at young people involved in the occult, if you see any type of particular dress, and this is going to piss all of y'all off, Griffiths replied, I have personally observed people wearing black fingernails, having their hair painted black, wearing black t-shirts, and sometimes they will tattoo themselves.
0: Oh, oh no. Mm-hmm.
1: That was quote unquote. I'm my nails black tonight, guys. Seriously. When the defense cross-examined Griffiths, they pointed out that Griffiths, who testified to have his PhD from Columbia Pacific University and brought to the courtroom's attention that this was not an accredited education institution. Oh, what a fucking dinky. Yep. So I'm going to play yet another clip where Paul Ford, which is Jason's lawyer, cross-examines Griffiths. And just listen to this motherfucking shit.
2: How how were you accepted into enrollment at <clears throat> Columbia Pacific University? I had to fill out a, a considerable series of papers, including all my education. Background experience. Did you ever fill out a little flyer like this? No, sir. It says call toll free for information on how to become a doctor. This is a mail order college, isn't it? What classes did you take between 1980 and 1982 to obtain your master's degree? What, cl- what classes? I testified. I'm asking what classes. What classes did you I, take? I told you, I answered that before, none. You did not take any classes. Between 1982 and 1984, when you became a PhD, what classes did you take? No. No. OK. Is it your opinion, and do you want to tell this jury, that these crimes were motivated by occult beliefs?
1: Basically, he goes on to say is your opinion, your and, opinion. And he didn't even fucking take classes. No, he didn't take any classes. It's a
0: mail order, mail yes. order, PhD. Oh, my gosh. I, it's not funny. Like, I'm not laughing because. Oh, shit. I'm bumping things because I'm getting That's aggressive okay. now over here. Dropping shit. You're dropping shit. Your, your mic's all sorts of jacked up right now. <laughs> <laughs> you got to fix, fix your little pop socket thing. There you go. Not a pop socket. Pop Whatever filter. It is. Sorry, guys. Oh, my
1: God. I'm just. Yep. Carry on. Okay. <laughs> this is the shit we're working with. What the West Memphis Police Department was working with. Okay. So we're astounded right now. Okay. I'm just
0: fucking baffled at the level of stupidity.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The. I. I. Can't even fucking speak.
1: So, medical examiner Dr. Frank Pretty was on the stand and was handed a knife discovered in a lake behind Jason's house. Pretty agreed that wounds found on the body of Christopher Byers were consistent with the serrated edge of the knife. And on cross examination, Pretty also agreed that Christopher's wounds were equally consistent with another serrated knife, in particular, to one belonging to John Mark Byers. Christopher's stepfather. Hmm. So like I related to in episode one. If you haven't listened to it, go back and fucking listen to it. Stop being a slacker. No shit, guys. At this
0: point if you are not You need to go hop back in. You need it you need to go back on episode Yeah. Or twelve.
1: <laughs> Peretti said Christopher Scrotum was cut off in his penis skin while he was still alive. And that it could have been completed with either knife. Pretty also told jurors that the autopsies reveal both Stevie Branch and Michael Moore received massive blows to their heads and that Michael's lungs were filled with water indicating when he was in the water, he was breathing. So likely both boys were knocked unconscious, thrown in the water, where they drowned. And which one was castrated? Christopher. Defense lawyer's got pretty to acknowledge on cross-examination that many of the descriptions of the murder offered by Jesse in his confession were not confirmed by his medical findings. None of the boys were strangled, raped, or tied with any sort of rope. So, one thing that they did not edit out of Jesse's confession, where he said that they were screwing them and stuff. Mm-hmm. The well, boys were, thankfully, never sexually attacked well even
0: aaron said that they were raped yeah so that's two yeah
1: so but i guess we're just going to disregard that like everybody else
0: yeah we're gonna we're gonna ride the you know confession of an eight-year-old
1: yeah and side note i also didn't put this in my notes because there's so much to go over but i feel like i need to add this the knife found behind jason's house was a tip from his own mother. So his mother, when she was interrogated by police, told them that James has never been in any kind of trouble. He's never owned any kind of weapon. The only one that she knew of was like a hunting knife. And she got pissed when she found it and threw it in the the lake behind their trailer. So it's back there because she put it there. Yes. So prosecution goes out at last minute. Last fucking minute. I don't have the Because I, again I didn't put in my notes. I should have. But goes out last fucking minute. Starts diving at like 1030. And they find the blade. By like. a well Sorry. They not start diving. They start suiting up at 1030. They find the blade around like 1140 AM. That's too quick to search a lake for a blade. But you would know. If somebody's pointing you in the right direction. Where they've thrown it.
0: Yeah, because she fucking put it there. Yeah. Because
1: she was angry. Yeah. The knife had nothing to do with the case. Had nothing to do with no. the case. No, not whatsoever. So, introducing another douchebag. Douche canoe. hmm Michael Carson. He was a... That pros- name on
0: its own sounds like a douche.
1: <laughs> he was a prosecution witness, and he... Uh, not only shocked the jury but the entire fucking courtroom with his statement how
0: off the fucking wall was it
1: it was very off the wall so he was a 16 year old who had shared jail time with jason and he basically testified that jason admitted to him that he dismembered the kids and sucked the blood from the penis and the scrotum and put the balls in his mouth That's straight up what he told him. And he said that all this happened while they were playing a game of spades. Because <laughs> you just share that f- kind of fucking information. I get understood. Carson told jurors he came forward with this story months after his alleged conversation with Jason because he saw on television how brokenhearted the parents of the missing boys were. And because he has a soft heart. Mm. He just couldn't bear it. Mm. Did he get some time off? I did not look that up. I neither confirmed or denied it, but I will side note in a second, tell you another story off of that. Okay. Um, so his testimony, uh, kind of tied with a thin fiber, bathrobe fiber from Jason's home that was said to be, um, microscopically similar to a fiber found near the bodies. And basically that's what tied the case against Jason Baldwin to it. Hmm. The state's case against Jason was so weak that they had early approached his attorneys with a proposal to ask only for a sentence for 40 years with parole, possibly in 15. But in return, for his testimony, he had to tell a story against Damien. And like a true good fucking friend...
0: He said no. Please say it. He said no.
1: Jason rejected the proposal. Oh, thank God. This kid is like... Even like up to the end, which we'll go into the next episode, he is just the best fucking friend you could have besides Missy. Yay. <laughs> like, seriously. But side note, what I was talking about earlier was there was an instance where Michael Carson's parole officer called like the defense for mm-hmm. Jason and Damien and said basically that that kid's lying and the everybody needs to know and the only reason that he knows that information is because i accidentally slipped and told him and i know the character that he is because i work with him so frequently because this kid is knocked up and full of ls or lcd that he's lying he just took the information i gave him and fed it to y'all and that's how he came into that story so that's how he knew anything of it. He didn't see it on the fucking news. He didn't have a broken heart about the parents. He was just doing it for his own personal gain, just like everybody else. Mm-hmm. All right. So the prosecution wrapped up its case with the testimony of two girls who claimed to have overheard Damien confess to the murders while attending a softball game. Mm-hmm. We have Jodi, a junior high school student, and she was said that she was watching the game when she overheard Damien at a distance of, like, 25 feet wow she's got supersonic hearing exactly and she said that he said he killed the three boys and before he turned himself in that he was going to kill two more and he already had one of them picked out on cross-examination jody admitted that though she told her mother about the overheard comment neither she or her mother bothered to report the matter to the police Hmm, Mm kind of funny yeah,
0: it's kind of information you would think you'd want to report immediately.
1: You would think. Mm. Jody's story generally matched that of her 12-year-old friend, Christy, who attended the girls softball game and with her that evening in 1983, who also said the same thing. What a coinkedink. Ah.
0: Uh-huh.
1: After opening his case with the testimony from Pam Eccles, who told jurors her son spent the night of the murders at her home at, or he spent the night of the murders at his home. Um, and that he was on the phone and in conversation with two girlfriends, which the Memphis Police Department did look up and could prove that Damien was on the phone. But again, that alibi doesn't matter.
0: No, apparently no alibis matter at this point.
1: Mm -hmm. The defense called Damien to the stand. And this is usually, you don't want to bring anybody that's accused of a murder on the stand cuz it can be very like detrimental to the case. And watching it, I believe it was cuz again, he's very much so a smart ass and I think it sometimes he gets flustered too as well. Well, naturally, he's facing something very serious. And in his mind, he doesn't yes, he's smart, but he's still an 18-year-old, so he doesn't think it's that serious because he didn't do anything. There's no evidence that he did anything. Like, there's no actual evidence. It's all he said, she said bullshit. Mm-hmm. So, again, he's always taught, I'm innocent until proven guilty. Right. He thinks this is all fucking game still, because he's a kid. Exactly. A he's smart-ass kid. kid. Um, But he was asked about his family and his life, which Jamie and said included skateboardings, movies, talking on the phone, and reading. He then asked Damien about his focus on the Wicca religion, which Damien explained was basically a close involvement with nature. Mm-hmm. And in the testimony, watching it, he basically denied any kind of, like, involvement with Wicca that mostly he was just interested, like, it piqued his interest about it. He never, like, actually practiced Wicca. Uh-huh. But he did state, I'm not a Satanist. I don't believe in human sacrifices or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And he was asked to read experts from his personal journal which included favorite quotes such as Life is but a walking shadow It is a tale told by an idiot Full of sound and fury signifying nothing That's beautiful It is beautiful
0: That is beautiful
1: It's gorgeous But he was crucified over it because it was dark poetry But you want to know who fucking wrote that? Shakespeare that is from A Midsummer's Night's Dream. It I was like, why does that sound
0: so beautiful? Why, why did I like have that?
1: That explains why. Oh, heaven forbid. Let's yeah. crucify Shakespeare. And he was asked to read other quotes out of his own personal journal. Imagine. Just imagine trying to, like, you're on the stand and you have to open up your own personal journal and read it to an entire fucking courtroom. That's embarrassing. Yeah. And then have to try to explain yourself for it. But he wrote other quotes in there, too, and it was, like, Metallica lyrics and such and such. Oh, no. Yeah. And when asked why he had a dog skull in his bedroom, Damien just replied, I thought it was kind of cool. Asked why he had the word evil tattooed across his knuckles, Damien had the similar answer. I just thought it was kind of cool. So I did it. Any same 18-year-old would say. Yeah. Question about why he always wore black, Damien responded, I was told that I look good in black. And I'm self-conscious. uh About the way I dress. Johnny Cash wore a lot of black. I think that was one of his statements, too, on the stand, to be honest. I mean, he even wrote a song about it. They even went to... I didn't put this in my notes, either. They even went to the point that said that, like, Damien went out of his way to dye his hair black. No, motherfucker. His hair was black. He naturally had black hair. He naturally had black hair. But we're going to use that against him. Couldn't help that one. Mm -hmm. God gave that to him. The defense sought to present Damien as a teenager who might be different from most in West Memphis, but not as someone who should fear. Damien denied having anything to do with the deaths of the free boys, testifying, I never heard of them before till I saw it on the news. Asked how he felt about being charged with the murders, and he said, sometimes angry, sometimes sad, sometimes scared.
0: Typical normal response.
1: Mm -hmm. The defense presented evidence raising questions about the quality of the police investigation. Gitchell admitted that although West Memphis owned both a video camera and audio recorders, they hadn't bothered to tape any of their several interviews with Damien. Oh, wow. Wonder why. Mm-hmm. Gitchell also admitted that the blood samples left on the wall of Bojangles' restaurant on the evening of the murder were lost. Oh. And we haven't addressed this episode, or this incident yet. We will in the next episode. So just hold on to that. Oh, gosh, damn it. Yeah, I know. We're just going through the trial right now. I know. So, Mark Byers, the stepfather of Christopher Byer, Byers, was also called to testify about the knife, if you remember part one, that oh. he had been, that he had given to the HBO film crew working on documentary about the case. And was later turned over to the police. Byers testified that the blood found on the knife was his, coming from a cut, despite the fact he had already told authorities he had no idea how human blood ended up on that knife. Hmm. The defense had another witness that they said could have committed the crimes, but did not know due to the amount of drugs he was on. And he was already currently facing charges in California. And later recanted his statement. And I'm going to leave his story out of the trial just due to the fact that we now know at this day that it does not match any DNA evidence. So, I don't want to confuse the two and create rumors. Okay. With that, defense attorneys viewed as their bet witness off the book. They called Robert Hicks as their final witness. He was a police training officer with expertise about satanic crime. And Hicks testified that he knew of no connection between sexual mutilation and the occult. Okay. He also told jurors that we do have factual evidence that listening to Metallica does not lead people to commit crimes. He described the phase trappings of the occult used by Prosecution Griffiths as a Absolutely meaningless in considering any kind of violent crime. And basically that was it. The defense rested. Jason never took the stand and never testified. His attorney basically hoping that his client's like low profile um, and very little evidence against him would save his client. Mm-hmm. And he said we wanted to just disappear on the radar screen and let Damien be the whole focus. And he later said, we thought if we didn't stir the pot and they didn't stir the pot, what were they going to convict him on? Because there was no fucking evidence. Mm-hmm. On March 17th, the jury listened to closing arguments. John Fulkeman argued that while most people might not believe this satanic stuff, what matters is is what the defendants believe. Religion, he said, is a motivating force. It gives people who want to do evil, want to commit murders, a reason to do what they're doing. He went on to tell the jurors, you see inside Damien and you look inside there, there's not a soul there. Damien's lawyer reminded jurors that the law required them to find his client guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. And after listening to the evidence, they should have plenty of doubts. He pointed to the blood found on the knife owned by Mark Byers, the bloody man who entered the local Bojangles restaurant about the time of the crime. And almost not. There was no physical evidence connecting Damien with the murders. He argued that having weird things in your room doesn't mean you're guilty of murder. And Paul Four Jason's lawyer delivered the closing argument for Jason, arguing that the prosecution hoped jurors would find his client guilty by association. Take your blindfolds off, he told jurors, and look at the case the way it really is and send Jason Baldwin home. The final argument belonged to Prosecutor Brent Davis. So, prosecution had the last word. Summing up, Davis said, We have presented a circumstantial case with circumstantial evidence. So, they acknowledged it. And this is what his response was. And it's good enough for conviction. He told jurors, you can feel good about convicting both defendants. So. That's it? That's it. That is fucking it. So you're telling me the last sentence told to the jurors was, we have presented a circumstantial case with circumstantial evidence. Circumstantial. We use that word twice in the sentence. But it's good enough. It's good enough for conviction. Yep. So, obviously, I'm leaving y'all on a cliffhanger. And in our next final episode of the West Memphis Three, I'm going to go over the conviction and a little bit more other evidence. And whom I believe was the true murderer of the three eight-year-old little boys. But before we end any closing statements, I would like to play you one last clip from Damien so you guys do get to know him.
2: The song that I really can relate to by Metallica is Sanitarium. Because I feel like all those times that I was put in the hospital, I didn't need it. it. it was just the police another way for them setting me up when they couldn't send me to prison or something. They're like, well, we'll get them out of our way for a little while by sending them somewhere else. Mm. I like Metallica because, well, all hard music like that because it like gives me an adrenaline rush. Mm makes me feel more alive.
0: So, there's actually a psycho- psychologist that's on the internet right now. Mm-hmm. And I've seen this before, but for some odd reason now she's making like viral, like people are finally mm-hmm. like viral about it. And she's, I mean, she even ended up on my news page for Facebook um, on how... Heavy metal or heavy rock is therapeutic therapeutic Mm -hmm. and helps ease anxiety. Now, I remember when I was younger Mm -hmm. and I was doing my homework and I was just listening to Slipknot. Now, if anybody fucking saw Slipknot and then saw me listening to Slipknot, they definitely think I was some sort of devil worshiper because those motherfuckers are scary looking. Love them. And my my mom came downstairs and she's like, what the fuck are you doing? And not that she was getting at me about my music choice because she never did. She never agreed with my music choice because to her it was just noise and she didn't understand it. She never judged me for it. Mm -hmm. But she saw I was doing my homework listening to this and she told me to turn it off. She's like, you can't be doing your homework while you're listening to that kind of music. And then she saw like all of a sudden my, my focus wasn't right and my grades weren't right. And she's like, oh, it helps you. When I would go to bed at night. I would wear my big ass headphones because that's what we had. Was, mm-hmm. And then I put my beanie over top of my head to hold my headphones on as I blared mud vein mm-hmm. in my ears. And it would pass the fuck out.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep.
0: And now we have a therapist out there, a psychologist, sorry, who is saying it is clinically music, proving music to help ease anxiety. Because
1: yeah, you feel so much through people's music. And in that feeling, like they're speaking everything that's going on through your head and all of your emotions, you kind of just release your emotions. You don't keep them trapped up anymore. She, she was saying that
0: the thing that it helped, te- it actually helps people learn to release their their anxiety in a safe manner. Mm-hmm. It helps them control it and release it safely. And I, when I read that, I'm like, finally someone fucking said it. Like, finally somebody fucking gets it because that was me as a kid. I'm 12 years old jamming out to fucking Slipknot and, and Marilyn Manson, mm-hmm. and everybody's looking at me like I'm a psychotic person because I'm listening to this music and it's just loud noises and all this other things. And again, I was fucking judged just like these fucking kids.
1: Yeah, just on your music taste,
0: just on my music taste. This is before I even got into the clothing I was wearing.
1: But we could, according to the state of West Memphis, we could have convicted you for that. Yeah that's basically what they got up on that stand and said like there was no evidence i'm not leaving anything out as far as what was yeah basically said there may have been like little like
0: Mm, mundane right
1: facts that were said but that was basically the big arguments that i put down there's no tangible evidence other than
0: fucking clothing
1: choices and music there was a fiber or two that could have that could have matched could have even if it did match, it's a, the fucking Woods and he's
0: their kids who were in there themselves to play around. It yeah. could have been there from when God only knows when.
1: It could have been. But again, it wasn't a 100% match. It was no, just. It's a possibility. It, it was a possibility. It could have matched. They're hanging
0: on by that fucking fiber mm-hmm. in this case. And and they knew
1: that. That's why they needed Jesse to work against Jason and Damien and when he wouldn't do that
0: they had nothing
1: they had nothing
0: so they went with that I'm just episode one again we're saying this again if you have not fucking listened to it go back you slackers episode one (laughs) had me sad I was so sad because the little boys is really where my heartstrings were at yeah Mm because you have an eight-year-old I do you can put like you see it like oh my gosh yes and now with this case, I'm sad. I'm very sad because I was that kid.
1: Yeah. Now you're putting yourself I'm like, in, I, the, in Damien's shoes because you were him.
0: I, I was. I still am that kid. Now I'm grown up, but I mean, I'm still that person, but I'm also angry. I'm so angry. Mm hmm. So angry,
1: and that's why for so long, like I kept putting this case off and putting it off and putting it off because, like, I really don't want to have to like, put this out there, I don't want to have to do all that.
0: It's vulnerable for you and I.
1: And I was like, finally, it just built up so much anxiety. I was like, I was gonna say, you've been having some massive anxiety scratching at my neck to get it off my chest, yeah, it just had to be said because I'm scratching my chest right now, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) but
0: like. It's been causing a lot of anxiety for you. I know you, you and I have been talking about that, but I can I can see I can see why you didn't want to talk about it. It's a vulnerable. We can it's, we it's, can relate.
1: Yeah. We c- easily. Think, thankfully, we don't have to relate the way they do, but like. It, but we
0: easily could have been them. You and I easily could have of, been them. Any
1: of them. Any of the Toasties.
0: Any,
1: I know so many. And my own niece takes after me. You're just gonna convict her on the because because she daughter. looks like it.
0: My daughter. I mean, she's also dressing that Leanne.
1: Way. Leanne, my daughter. You can try in, Leanne. Yeah, like they could <laughs> yeah. easily convict her because I wear all black and Again, and she, she listens to I Slipknot to. and yeah. whatnot with me. You have a nose like, piercing and I have yeah, a, a nose piercing, piercing so yeah. that'd be easily. She wears eyeliner. Yeah. Ooh. She has Metallica Ooh. hoodie. <laughs> oh my god. And I can bet your fucking ass you're gonna find more than eleven black T-shirts in my fucking closet. Uh, like I, have I just said, so many. I only
0: <laughs> I only wear black. Like my like said so my job, we have like col- we used to have colored Fridays where we could wear a solid color T-shirt or mm-hmm. solid colored shirt. Um, now it's the whole fucking month, and um, <laughs> every Friday they'd ask me like, why don't you um participate on Fridays? I'm like, cause that would require me to go to the store. And by color, and I don't do that. Like, when I do wear color, the few f- and far, and when I wear color, it's still, it's dark green or dark red. Um,
1: Everybody flips out. They're like, oh my gosh, you're wearing color today. <laughs> like, it's I, a whole ordeal. The I only- feel like, no slight towards them, but I feel like the girls that work you work with are very, like, um, she yes. in... Toity-toity. <laughs> but, like, the only color that's ever
0: on my body is my hair. It's bright red.
1: Not me anymore. No. Sorry, I switched up on you.
0: You're more, you've always been darker colored hair. Yeah. Are you, is it back to black, right? Uh, it's like it, a black cherry. It needs yeah. to be done right now. But yeah. God. But that's always been you. I've always been the red. You've always been black. Or mm-hmm. we've been both red. Mm-hmm. But every time you went to red, you always went back to black. Mm-hmm so that's just how it's always been
1: but anyways this case is it will get your blood pumping my blood's pumping i'm gonna need a shot what are we up to now what's that time stamp at oh uh, you don't know oh sorry toasties toasties
0: we appreciate you guys thank you for this like this is a is a vulnerable case for us yeah it really is and if you've made it this far you are the bestest toasty ever um if you haven't or you're just chiming in for some other reason at the end of this episode. Get your asses back to part one, get your asses back to and start over part two, and uh, keep come back for part three because yeah, I need still I still have the, a lot to go. over. I need the end of this. I need this to be over. Uh, <laughs> I can understand why you were like ah with this <laughs> with this case. I'm like you got this. Uh, make sure you guys find us on uh, the social medias if you haven't already. When it's a TikTok and mm-hmm. Facebook and Instagram, hit the fucking bell. Yeah, be a the bell, <laughs> uh, like, follow, share, subscribe, tell your friends from the rooftops, send us
1: suggestions, whatever. Yeah,
0: send us some suggestions. Or just, you
1: know, or tell a conversation
0: us- with us. Yeah, come talk with us. We're gonna be probably going live here soon. We're not sure when, but we'll find out when. Yeah, winter solstice is coming up. Just so you know, um, <clears throat> you want to talk about pagans and Wicca? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I celebrate winter solstice. Mm, just saying. And summer solstice, sorry, summer solstice. Wow, yeah, you're I'm, moving backwards. <laughs> I did going backwards. Summer solstice is coming, guys. Uh, actually, I think by the time this episode is aired, it will already be passed. It, it either will already be passed or it's coming up that Wednesday. Oh jeez! All right, yeah. we gotta go, guys. Yeah, we gotta
1: go <laughs> get some sleep. Hope you enjoyed.
0: Bye.
1: Bye.